So um, the city of Columbus, Cleveland, and Cincinnati are what we call SEND, S-E-N-D, cities through the North American Mission Board, which simply means is that they are pouring a lot of money into our city for church planting. Now, those of you who may or may not know this, we are part of the Metro Columbus Baptist Association, which comprises of 126 different churches, and we've been very much involved in planting churches now for the last five or six years. We are one of the few um, associations in our state that is completely self-supporting. So I just want you to pray about you know supporting this this um, this drive because uh, all the money, all the proceeds goes directly onto the mission field. And um, it is so, so important right now that we continue to plant new churches. Uh, Currently, there's about 7,000 churches a year that are closing their doors in the convention, and uh, we're not planting that many churches, so we are beginning to fall behind, Uh, but we're picking out very strategic areas in which to go, and these areas are where there is little or no evangelical, uh, you know, church or outreach, and... uh, whether you realize it or not, Columbus is the 13th largest city in the United States, and the world has come to us. In our association alone, on any given Sunday, there are over 60 different languages being used. So, uh, yeah, we are, we're putting forth the effort, so please, please pray. God just keeps sending us church planters um, individuals who, who God has called out of congregations like ours and has just burdened their hearts, given them a passion for a people group or an area. And uh, we're just absolutely amazed at what the Lord is doing. We want to do everything in our power to make sure that continues on. So if you have your Bible, let's go to John chapter 10. And uh, there's an outline in your bulletin this morning. And we began a couple of weeks ago a brand new series uh, called The Identity of Jesus. And we're looking at the I am statements that Jesus made throughout the gospel of John. So if you were to get up again in the morning and you look into the mirror and you say, I am, and then you fill in the blank, I am tired, like maybe somebody, you didn't, you know, you lost an hour of sleep last night, or, uh, (laughs) you know, I am stupid, or I am unlovable, or I am unworthy, or I am talented, or I am gifted, however... Those I am, what you fill in after that are some of the most powerful words that you could ever fill in about yourself because basically we always live our lives how we believe we are. So if I believe that I'm untalented, I'm not gifted, I'm not worthy, I'm all of those things, if if that completes my I am statement, it will dramatically affect how I see myself how I relate to other people, how I see God and relate to him, it affects every aspect of our lives. And so our current behaviors are a reflection of our current identity, how we see ourselves. So Jesus describes and defines himself in the Gospel of John through I am statements. And the reason those I am statements are important to us because If you are in Christ and he is in you through salvation, then that means that those I am statements also describe and define who you are in Christ. And so some of the things you may be believing about yourself are not I am statements that God has given to you, but they're I am statements maybe that your enemy has given to you, or maybe you had an experience in life that caused you to fill in the blanks that way. 
Jesus wants to radically redefine you as he sees you, as he describes you. And so we started off with, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And once you come to understand that Jesus is the bread of life and he becomes your bread, and that means that Jesus brings to us, for one thing, ultimate satisfaction. So it doesn't matter whether I have much or little. I can say like the Apostle Paul, I am content. Why am I content? Because I'm not looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. I'm not looking for satisfaction with the next car I purchase or the house or whatever it is that we run from one thing to another. Oh, this will satisfy me if I just get this, if I just do this, if I just accomplish this. And it's always the next thing. It's like the carrot is always dangled in front of us, and we're constantly looking for ultimate satisfaction. Jesus comes along and says, I am your ultimate satisfaction. I am the bread of life, which is one of the reasons he told us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. I find satisfaction through Christ, therefore I am content. That's just one aspect of that I am statement. Last week we looked at the I am statement of I am the light of the world. And because Jesus is the light of the world, he says, now you and I are the light of the world. We no longer have to walk in darkness. We looked at six characteristics of those who live and walk in darkness in their lives. We, we are not that individual any longer. We're the light of Christ, and because we are the light of Christ, we bring the life and the light of Jesus into every single situation we enter into, and therefore we have the capability of transforming the atmosphere in which we find ourselves. And so a part of the light of, and life of Christ is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. You're bringing that into the atmosphere, and so you're literally helping to transform that event that you're attending or that, that um, place that you might be, whether it be at the office or at home or wherever else. I have never, ever, ever had any wife call me and say, please, pastor, could you see my husband and I next week? We're having horrible, horrible, horrible marital problems because he, he's just so, he's just too loving. He's too patient. He's too kind. He's too self-controlled. Uh, it, it's driving me crazy. Never. Why? Because when you bring the fruit of the Spirit into the atmosphere, it changes everything. Today we're going to be looking at Jesus' statement, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. This is going to be a two-week message, so don't get wigged out on the outline because we may not get through this portion of it. Because uh, when Jesus makes the statement, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd, it is in the context of the same event that he is addressing And so we're going to look at both of those. What does it mean when he says, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd, and what does that mean for us? So let's look in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever come before me 
were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Or some of your translations may say to abundance. I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Now, I heard the story about a woman uh, a while back. She was a true blonde-haired woman. And, uh, you know, when you're a true blonde... Uh, people are constantly making jokes about, you know, you ever heard the blonde jokes? Maybe you've told a few, few blonde jokes. Well, she was really upset by the fact that every time she went, you know, was around her family at work, people were making blonde jokes. So she decided she was going to change the style and color of her hair. So she makes an appointment with her stylist. She shows up. She gets the color changed. Hairstyles change. She's got the rest of the day to do whatever she wants. She decides to drive out into the country and as she's driving in the country, she notices this beautiful pasture, and, and it's just like filled with, with flocks of sheep. I mean, there's sheep all over the, grazing on the side of it. She stops her car, gets out, walks up to the fence, and just watches them for a while. Suddenly, out of the corner of her eye, she notices a shep- the shepherd of the sheep is coming down the fence line, and she stops him, and she says, uh, hey, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I, well, it's not really a question. I want to make a deal with you. Okay, what's the deal? The deal is, if I can tell you how many sheep are out in that field, would you give me one to take home as a pet? And the shepherd thought to himself, well, okay. Because in his mind, there is no way she is ever going to get this right. And so he says, okay, uh, deal's on. She says there are 582 sheep out there. And he said, doggone, she hit it right on the nose. I mean, how could she know this? And uh, so he says, well, go pick one out. Take it home with you. She does. She picks one out. She starts getting in her car. She's putting it in the back seat of her car. And before she drives off, he says, listen, I made a deal with you. How about you make a deal with me? And she says, well, okay, well, what's the deal? The deal is, if I can tell you the true color of your hair, will you give me my dog back? Let that sink in. They're only going to get worse as we go along today. You get the picture. When you come to John chapter 10, which is a very well-known chapter because Jesus makes these two tremendous I am statements. I am the gate. Some of your translations might say I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And uh, this chapter is a very personal, relational, warm, encouraging chapter because it details for us how God relates to us and um, how he wants to relate uh, with us and how we relate back to him. And in this chapter, obviously there is a great shepherding motif, uh, a theme that you find throughout this chapter. And all through the Bible, we are often, as followers of Jesus, um, as covenant members in God's family, we're referred to as sheep, right? Uh, all throughout the scripture, you'll find this. For example, Isaiah 53, 6, one of you know, great prophetic passages, all of us like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to our own way, but the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all on him. And uh, so this is a passage obviously referring to Jesus, who is the shepherd who takes uh, on our iniquity as, as our savior, 
The most famous passage, and we'll probably be looking at in detail next week, is the 23rd Psalm. You know, David, king of Israel, writes this psalm towards the end of his life. He's reflecting back how God shepherded his life. In fact, all of the um, notable leaders in Israel's history were at one time shepherds. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, Joseph, Moses, David. And what you discover is if, if this person was a good shepherd, they often made good leaders. But the flip side was also true. If they were not a good shepherd, they did not make a terribly good leader. Saul, the very first king of Israel, would, would be the example. Uh, he was shepherding his, um, yeah, the flock of his father's donkeys, and he lost them and couldn't find them. You can read this in 1 Samuel chapter 9. And uh, as it turns out, Saul was a horrible king. He was a horrible leader. And so when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, it implies that there are those who are not that good. So sheep are mentioned 200 times in the Bible, 200 times. While we're speaking of animals, dogs are mentioned 44 times in the Bible. How many times do you think cats are mentioned? None. Not zero, zip, nada. Unless, unless you say, well, what about lion? It's a part of the cat family. Okay, I'm going to give you that one. And so the Bible says that Satan is like a roaring lion, roaming around the earth, seeking to devour whom he may. So might I point out there is a direct connection between Satan and cats. So, um, so I have to get it in there. So, uh, so we are sheep. Now, the thing about sheep, sheep are not particularly bright animals. All right, let's just call it like it is. Uh, they're quite stupid. Uh, they need constant care and attention. Uh, they need a shepherd in order for them to survive or somebody who's overseeing them. I mean, if you go to a circus, you never see sheep. Sheep aren't trained for circuses. You can train a snake and flee. In fact, we have somebody uh, that trains rats to play basketball, uh, but you can't train sheep that way. And even animals, um, most other animals have their own TV shows, right? Dogs had Lassie and Rin Tin Tin and uh, dolphins had Flipper and bears had Gentle Ben and horses had Mr. Ed and even pigs had Arnold, uh, you know, on the Green Acres. And I know if you're below the age 50, you're thinking, what the heck are these animals? I don't even never, never heard of them before. Uh, I, I get that. I understand that. Um, the only way, for example, that you can make sheep play dead is to shoot one. But the fact of the matter is game's over, right? Because it's only one-time trick, that's it, you know. So they're just not bright. So let's look at the, I'm going to give you four uh, challenges of being a sheep. Uh, this is a challenge for the shepherds as they're shepherding their sheep, and it's a challenge for God as he is shepherding our lives. The first one is this, is that sheep get lost easily, easily. How many, some of you get lost easily, right? So... When I was pastoring in Lyria, I had a member of my church, bless her heart, had no directional sense whatsoever. Now, they lived less than two miles from the church, but she only knew one way to get to the church, and if she got out on the road and was blocked or detoured, she didn't know how to get there. So she was constantly getting lost, and so her husband finally, you know, gave her, got her one of those Tom things she can put in there and, and try to find her, you know, this is before you could do it on your cell phones, and, and uh, trying to navigate her way around, and maybe that's the way it is for some of you. It's a characteristic of sheep. See, sheep, they get to grazing, 
And for them, the grass always looks greener on the other side. So they keep their head down and they just keep moving and keep moving because it's going to be better over here. It's going to be better over here. It's going to be better over here. And before long, they have separated from the flock. They have separated from the shepherd and they get lost. And so the shepherds were constantly having to watch their sheep to look for those who would separate themselves from the flock because otherwise they become, you know, obviously it's dangerous for them as far as their predators are concerned uh, because sheep are, you know, they don't have a lot of defense mechanism. And so what happens to us is what? what? Is that oftentimes we do the same thing. We think, again, this is going to satisfy me. I'm going to go over here. I'll do this and I'll walk after this and I'll follow this. And we start following things. And before long, we're not making good decisions anymore. And we're getting further and further away from the Lord. We're getting more and more lost, so to speak. And, and so we start making decisions that are unwise decisions because we have distanced ourselves from the shepherd to the point that we can no longer hear his voice. And so a sheep needed to stay within the range of the voice of the shepherd if they were going to stay in a place of safety. The second thing we notice about sheep is that sheep are defenseless. Almost every animal you can think of has some sort of defense, right? Even cats can claw your eyes out. Yay for cats. And uh, if you noticed I'm not a fan of cats, is that what you're, you're drifting, getting the drift? Okay. I'm not against cats. All right, so please. I know I have cat lovers here, and they send me these memes and says, you know, they, they get back at me. But, you know, like, there's animals that have fangs as a defense mechanism, like a rhino has the big horn. I mean, most animals are equipped with some kind of defense mechanism that they can use against their, their predator. Some of them can fly away. Some of them run really fast like a cheetah. Some of them blend into their environment. Sheep don't do anything. They are totally defenseless against their natural predators. Now, there's a great story here. There's a great uh, analogy here. You attack a sheep, and what can they do? What is their defense? All they can do is go, Mac, off. Yeah, so that's, that's, a, that's what they got. So if you're defenseless, that means you are vulnerable. Now hear me well. You have an enemy who is your predator, Satan and his demonic beings. And if he can distance you from the shepherd, if he can distance you from the flock, you become very open and you become very vulnerable to his attack. And uh, we'll talk about this more next week about how he does that and what happens and what transpires as a result of that as we look at the 23rd Psalm. But just know this, unless you are keeping your heart intact with the shepherd, unless you're keeping your, you know, Jesus at the center of your life, you are constantly opening yourself up to vulnerability to your enemy's attacks. Number three, sheep are very stubborn. Imagine that, very stubborn. So I want you to look to the person next to you, and I want you to say, I think he's talking about you right now. You're kind of like sheep. You're real stubborn. Go ahead. All right. So those of you who refuse to do that, you want to know why? Because you're stubborn, right? I ask you to do something. I'm not doing that. You can't tell me what to do. I'm not going to do that. It's not the way we are with God. Right? Like, God, you can't tell me to do that. I don't want to do that. That doesn't sound right. It doesn't make sense. I... And so we can also become very, very stubborn 
Uh, and some of you, um, you know, maybe that's, that's the way you are. Maybe that comes a little natural for you. Um, for example, when sheep, uh, if they're out grazing, and let's say they, they, get, they walk into a crevice of a rock they, if, and get stuck, they won't back up. They're stubborn enough to think that I can push my way through the crevice of that rock. You're never going to hear the beep, beep, beep of backing up of a sheep because they just don't do that. And we're the same way sometimes. For some of you, maybe it, uh, in your lifetime, you were dating somebody and you were going to marry this person and 15 of your closest friends said, please do not do that. It's a big mistake. It's the worst decision you, you would, would ever make. But you were so stubborn. I'm going to do this. I don't care what everybody else says. I'm going to do it. And you did it. And it was a huge mistake. Right, so we can be very stubborn at times when we're convinced about something. Like, guys, we can be very stubborn about going to the doctors. Um, we can become very stubborn about asking for help. We can become stubborn in many, many different ways. Number four, sheep are filthy. All right? uh, if you, you run across a, a white, fluffy sheep... Like, like clean, somebody's power washed it, okay? So that's not natural for them because in Jesus' day and time, they may spend months out, you know, with their shepherd into the pastures, and sheep cannot clean themselves. Now, the shepherds would help clean the dirt off their wool because if they had too much dirt caking on their wool, you know, it can cause them to tip over. Uh, they can't wash themselves because they went into a river. Um, first of all, they wouldn't go into running water, or if they did, that's to their demise. That's why 23rd Psalm talks about, you know, leading them beside the quiet waters, uh, is that, the, you know, when the wool gets soaked with water, it causes them to become heavy, and they would fall in and drown. And so um, this is the way that God sees us through his eyes. I know we talk about good old people, like, you know, like, we're, he's a, she's a good old girl, she's a, he's a good old boy. And when Jesus was asked the question about good he said to the rich young ruler, there's no one good but God. Because when God sees us, he doesn't see goodness, he sees filth, he sees sin, he sees dirtiness. Now, he doesn't leave us that way, because remember, he is the good shepherd, right? He is the good shepherd who has come to clean us up. And so Isaiah prophesied it in Isaiah 1.18, says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And so the, the, the point of all of this is this. Sheep need a shepherd, and we need a savior. Because left on our own, we make a mess of things. Just look at the world in which we live. If every single of the seven and a half billion people across the planet Earth, if every single person had Jesus as their shepherd, as their guide, and their heart and their mind was centered on him, this world would be a much, much different place. But that's not the case. The world needs a Savior. We need a Savior. And that's why Jesus came to be the good shepherd. And so let's set the context up because shepherding is not something that is really um, congruent with our, our Western culture or mindset. Uh, it, oftentimes those who have um, are, sh are shepherds or ranchers of sheep. You know, they use dogs and horses and four-wheelers to, to herd the sheep. I want you to notice very closely the wording used because in the, um, I think my, in the oriental world, the shepherd didn't herd his sheep. 
the shepherd led his sheep. He didn't herd them up. He led them. They followed him. And this is very important when it comes to shepherding. So in verses 1 through 5, because there are three types of shepherding that Jesus mentions in these verses that we read. And the first five verses, you notice he says that there's this, um, you know, the truth, the man who does, the, does not enter the, the, you know, the sheep pen by the gate, climbs over. This is, you know, this person's a robber. But the sheep, when the shepherd comes, the sheep, you know, they listen to his voice. They follow him. So when shepherds lived in villages, oftentimes they had a, just a common sheep pen. And there might be seven to ten shepherds who at night would just put all of their sheep into the pen. Now, they didn't brand their sheep. They didn't tag their sheep. The sheep knew the voice of the shepherd. So they would hire a watchman to watch and guard the sheep from predators overnight. The next day, the shepherd would get up and go to the pen, and he would call out his flock. He would either call them by name, or they knew the tone of his voice, or maybe it was a particular noise that they used. And so the sheep would come out of that pen. You'll notice Jesus said, if if this was a stranger, they would run away. They, would, well, they wouldn't come out. And so the shepherd would call out his flock, and he would take them out into the pastures. The next shepherd would come up, he would call out his flock and take them out into the pastures. That's what's being described. Now, in verses 7 through 10, he's describing something a little bit different. And this is why it's very important for you to discern the shepherd's voice as a follower of Jesus, right? So in verses 7 through 10, now you have a shepherd who is Let's say he takes his sheep and he's leading them from pasture to pasture during the spring, summer months. He may be gone for months. So at night, he would basically take rocks or something and build a, a makeshift pen. And then he would lay himself across the entrance and he became the door or the gate or the entrance into that sheep pen. And so he was the person of safety. He was this person of security. He was the person of provision. He provided everything that was needed for those sheep to remain healthy and whole and to live what Jesus calls this abundant life, life to its fullest, as full as it can get for a sheep, whatever that is. I'm not sure. And so what began this whole discussion is found in chapter 9. In chapter 9, really chapters 9 and 10 are just one big chapter, although it's split up, you know, and you remember that the Bible wasn't written with actual chapter numbers and verse numbers. Uh, that's to help us. So in chapter 9, what happened? Remember, Jesus proclaimed to be the light of the world. He comes across a man with his disciples who had been born blind. And his disciples ask him the question, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he has been born blind? Jesus said, neither the man or his parents, this is for the glory of God. And so Jesus walked up and he spit on the ground. He made a mud pack and put it on the man's eyes and said, now I want you to go to the pool of Siloam and I want you to wash. The man went to the pool of Siloam and he washed and his sight was instantly restored. Well, you can imagine he's like excited. He's exuberant about what has happened. He's telling everybody about it. And he runs across some of the religious leaders of his day and time, scribes and Pharisees and, and such. And he tells them about what happened. What, and they question him over and over again. They're not excited about the fact he got healed. They just want to know who did it. Who healed you? And he would say, Jesus. And so that would make them even matter. And what really infuriated them was that Jesus did the healing on the Sabbath. 
So according to them, they, he's broken law. And so as he's, they're questioning this guy, they keep saying back, well, it couldn't have been Jesus because he's nothing but a sinner, and therefore he has no ability or authority to bring healing into anybody. And so this just bantering goes back and forth between them. And you'll notice in verse uh, 28, I'm sorry, yeah, um, yeah, let's go to, yeah, let's go to 20, yeah, 28, chapter 9. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are, this fellow's, are you this fellow's disciple? We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now this is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not of God, from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. In other words, they ostracized him out of the synagogue or out of temple. No longer welcome, no longer acceptable. And the reason Jesus launches into chapter 10 is because he's doing a contrast between ungodly earthly leaders and godly leaders who are, are shepherds that are good shepherds. And so he, he, um, he labels himself as such. I am the good shepherd. I am the kingly shepherd. I am the only true shepherd. And so he banters into this conversation with these individuals. Now let me just take a side note here for just a minute. Because I know that sometimes... People had bad experiences in churches, and they have bad experiences with church leaders, and then they make the assumption, they get, you know, there's an axe to grind, or they have the assumption that all churches are bad, and all pastors are bad, or clergy, and, and um, nothing could be further from the truth. Let's just say two things. Number one is that churches are not perfect because there are no perfect people that make up the church. Clergy are not perfect because there is no perfect person who is a clergy. See, the issue isn't, did something happen? The issue is really, did, the, did you try to take, make the mistakes, take the mistakes and try to make them right? Was something done about it? You know, right now you're hearing a lot in the news about um, sexual misconduct in the church among kids which we have to take very, very, very seriously. And for many years, this kind of stuff was shoved, just swept under the carpet, and nobody's dealing with it, and children were forced to live with this um, for all of their lives. And sometimes in a Christian home, parents will say to that child, well, you know, you'll get over it. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to. And so nothing is done. But now we, we understand the errors of our ways, and so there are strides that are being made so that that doesn't happen anymore. The second thing is you don't want to allow yourself to become embittered against an organization that God loves so much that he gave his life to establish it. God loves the church so much that he calls the church his bride. His bride. Now, you could say a lot of things against me, and that's fine, but if you say, you know what, Greg, I like you, but I'm not really crazy about your bride being my wife, now we might, have, we might have a problem, right? 
So Jesus is jealous over his bride. He knows the bride is not without spot or wrinkle. He's moving us towards that direction. And one will, will one day get us there when we enter into heaven. And he's completed this whole process of salvation. But let it be known. If you're looking for perfect churches, there are none. If you're looking for perfect pastors, there are none. Because we are all imperfect people, we are on the road to being conformed to the image of Christ. And so we bind our lives together and we seek to do what it is that God has called us to do. We, We really need to understand the incredible, credible love that God has for us and what he desires to do in our lives because that incredible love he has for you. If you understand that, the heart of God's goodness and the heart of God's care for you in a comprehensive way, it sets your heart up for trusting God and believing in God, walking with God and knowing God in, in just absolute incredible ways. So what does the good shepherd do? Here's three things that he does, uh, however much we get through it. All right, the good shepherd comes to the sheep. Right? You'll notice in verses 1 and 2 that the shepherd is coming into the sheepfold. He's not coming as a predator. He's not coming to steal or kill or destroy. That's what Satan does. Right? So Satan wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your happiness. Uh, to kill, he can kill your reputation. He can kill your relationship with somebody. Destroy, he can destroy you by getting you hooked on some kind of addiction that may ultimately destroy your life. There are a thousand different ways your predator comes against you. So Jesus comes into the sheepfold. Why? Because he desires to be close with his sheep. Above all else, your shepherd, Jesus, wants closeness with you. He wants intimacy with you. He, because he knows that everything in your life flows out of that relationship. You will never know how to properly relate to money and possessions and things and careers and success until you learn how to properly relate with your shepherd because only he can put those things in proper order and perspective for you. So your shepherd wants to be close. He desires to be close. And so he wants to come into the sphere in which you live and where you do life. And he comes in there because of the kind of God that we have, Not, not the kind of God who's just trying to get our attention. What is this shepherd wanting to do? What is Jesus wanting to do when he comes into your life? He wants to pasture, pasture them, water them, feed them, protect them, guide them, um, care for them. And that's exactly what God wants to do for us. The thing about sheep is they cannot care for themselves. They, they wouldn't last a day without the shepherd. Do you see the relationship that God's trying to paint between us and our shepherd? I know that we think we can carry on in life without him, and we do that, right? Like, we set the shepherd aside, and I'll get back to you when I need you, and we go on and do life, and as we're doing life, guess what begins to happen? The thief begins to steal and kill and destroy, and then we, you know, we get mad at God because he let it happen, and this happened, and that happened, and all of a sudden, our shepherd has been left behind. And so what Jesus wants to do is to be such an intimate contact with us because, you know, the thing you know about sheep that they could not lie down. Remember Psalm 23 says, 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You know that sheep will not lie down if they're anxious about something, if they're fearful about something, if there are too many parasites on them. The shepherd has to take care of all of those issues. Isn't it true that sometimes you can't lay down at night, you can't sleep at night because you're so filled of worry and fear and anxiety about life and about your future and anything else that may come into our minds and into our hearts, and our shepherd wants to step into those areas of our lives and to do away with the anxiety and calm down the fear and the worry so that the peace of Christ that surpasses all human understanding can guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That's what the shepherd does when he comes. So we don't sometimes have any sense of, or idea of how, how to care for ourselves left to our own senses. You know, if sheep start rocking off the cliff, you know what? All of them will follow. This is why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, God says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. and all your ways acknowledge him, and he he will make your path straight. He will take you to the green pastures. He will eliminate the worry and the anxiety. He will deal with the issues in your life. He is the one who desires to have that kind of intimacy to love and care and provide for us. So Jesus then says in verses 7 through 10, he says, I am the gate. Well, what does it mean by this, this gate? He says, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate. Who? So the gate is a person. Jesus is the gate. He is the shepherd of the pasture. Because we are prone to wander, in order to protect us from our predators, Jesus becomes the gate because when we are behind the gate, we are in a place of security and protection. That's what the shepherd did. And if the shepherd had to lay down his life for his sheep, that's exactly what he would do. Do you remember when David was standing, uh, you know, there in the valley where Goliath was? And he began recalling how God had delivered the bear and the lion and in his hand. These were predators of the, his sheep. And he went out and he did war with them. And he defeated them. And so this is exactly what you have. You have an enemy who is a lion, who is a predator, who wants to defeat you and discourage you and keep you from experiencing really the fullness and the abundant life Jesus came to give you in the here and now, not waiting till you get to heaven someday, but you got to get behind the, sh the shepherd, right? He's, he's got to be at the forefront. you got to send him first. So much of this that happens to us happens mentally, right? Your mind is the control center of your life. You always move in the direction of your most dominant thinking. And therefore, what does Paul say? We take those thoughts captive and we bring them into obedience unto Christ. And then we take that lie and give it to him and take his truth and put it in our thought processes that enables us to experience what the shepherd wants us to experience in that moment in time in life. Secondly, the gate is a proposal. He says, whoever enters through me, it's an offer, it's a choice. As much as I'd like for everybody in this room to receive Jesus, I have no power, I have no ability to make you decide that. When I'm outside this church, these church walls and I talk with people who are unsaved outside the kingdom, I have no power, I have no authority to make them to decide for Jesus. I cannot manipulate them, I cannot intimidate them, because I've discovered the principle of life is if you can talk somebody into something, somebody else can talk them out of it. So Jesus is the one who's doing the inviting. 
Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to this group of religious people who had this, we are better than you mindset. Right? They already said, look, he's a sinner. He's an illegitimate son of Joseph and Mary. We, we uh, saw back in earlier chapters. And so uh, they thought they were the super saints, the bionic believers, and therefore they were causing everyone else they, they, they just looked at everyone else as being lesser than them and, un, watch this, unworthy of God's time. Which is why they criticized Jesus in Luke chapter 15. Why are you hanging out with these sinners? Why would you do such? Why are you wasting your time? And so he says, whoever, whoever speaks of an invitation of acceptance... I want our church to be a church where it's okay not to be okay, but we just don't want to leave you not okay. Right? Sometimes when we reach out to people, to segments of society, and they, they finally, either they make a decision for Christ or they get up enough nerve to uh, respond to an invitation and they come to church and, you know, all of us, most of us in here probably, we've been in church for years. It's comfortable to us. It's just something, you know, it's second nature. But when you're a lost person or when you've never been to church and you enter into a church building, it is a very scary and intimidating thing. I remember like it was yesterday, the first time I ever entered into a church as a 15-year-old teenager and walking up to the door and there stood a greeter, a deacon of the church, reaches out his hand and says, welcome to First Baptist Church, Heath. We are glad you're here. And I shook his hand and said, how the hell are you? Let's just say it didn't go well. So... We have to be a church that never looks down our nose at anybody because we are all like sheep who have gone astray. We all turn to our own ways and all of our sin, was, all of our iniquity was laid upon our good shepherd and it is only through a relationship with him that he has made us white as snow and like wool. We have to be such a place Though the message of Jesus can at times seem abrasive, we will always preach a message that Jesus is the only way to heaven. We'll never sugarcoat that message. It can seem abrasive to people. People have called me narrow-minded, bigoted, arrogant, intolerant, all of those names that you get when you, you try to explain that Jesus is the only way, that you can have sin forgiven, the only way you can enter into heaven. Uh, people sometimes respond in such a way, not normally, but it does happen occasionally. But still, we, we, we wrap the message in love and grace. Listen, acceptance does not mean that we negate the truth. As long as I'm pastor here and in this pulpit, I will always give you truth regardless of what the pushback I might receive. Because it is that important. Who am I to say what God has, who am I? I have no liberty, I have no authority to divert the message of Christ. I want to preach the message of Christ because I want people to experience the good shepherd. Number three, it's the gate of promise. He says, Whoever enters through the gate, he will be saved, right? That word saved is the Greek word sozo, which means to save, to heal, and to deliver. 
What is the one common disease we possess outside of our relationship with Jesus that all humanity possesses? It's sin. The wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, it is spiritual death, spiritual separation, and Jesus is the cure, and Jesus is the answer, and Jesus says when you enter through the gate, they will go in and they will go out and find good pasture. What is he speaking of? He's speaking of access to forgiveness and hope and healing and every spiritual blessing that is ours in Christ Jesus. You go in, you go out only because we have no fear, because we have a shepherd who takes away our fear and enables us to go to follow him, right? We follow him. Jesus doesn't push our lives. He doesn't drive our lives. He speaks and we follow. That's the kind of relationship that he wants. See, some people have a real difficult time because they think God's just this angry God out there in the distance and he's just looking for ways to judge you and criticize you and say you weren't good enough and you didn't do it well enough and you blew that and you blew that and you sinned here and you sinned there. That's not our God at all. Our good shepherd is not here to condemn us. He took upon himself our condemnation. He is here, yes, to confront our sin, but not to condemn us for sin so that we can follow him as our good shepherd and he leads us to the best pastures possible to find what we're looking for. It's a gate of privilege. It says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but we have all access. So you have to understand the sacred privilege of knowing the shepherd is that the enemy cannot touch you. In fact, in relationship with your shepherd, Jesus is your hope and salvation. He is your forgiveness, your life, your liberty. He is the one who breaks the chains that bind us. He is the one who opens up prison doors. Listen, the only, the only thing Satan can have access in your life is what you give him permission to have access. And there are a lot of different ways you can do that. God is our... He is our good shepherd. He is our, our provision. He's, the gate is a privilege. The gate is a provision that we may have life and have it to its fullness. And so through Christ, we find acceptance, we find approval, and we become victorious in every situation. Here's the second thing the good shepherd does is that he calls his sheep. He calls his sheep. You'll notice that John is, writes uh, Jesus' words about the voice of the shepherd, the voice of the shepherd, the voice of the shepherd. How do you hear the voice of the shepherd? You say, well, I, you know, I, I really, this really just trips me up. It's, it pictures a very personal God who is powerful enough to communicate with us. In fact, who desires to communicate with us. Do you hear the voice of God? Is he talking to you? And if he is, are you hearing him? I've discovered from my own life that one of the reasons we don't hear God's voice is because we're listening to too many other voices. It'd be like me putting you into a room and cranking up the stereo, and then I would be God speaking in this small, still voice in the background, and you'd be like, I ain't hearing it. I'm not hearing it. I'm not hearing it. So the ultimate question is this, how much time do you carve out for your shepherd to speak into your life? Is it five minutes a day, five minutes a week, 
Are you always on the move, always on the go, always on your social media, always got the radio on, always have noise going on around you? If, if that's your life, if that's how you're trying to walk with your shepherd and follow him, you're not going to hear him. He, he wants to speak. He desires to speak. But you're going to have a real hard time hearing the voice of your shepherd if you're constantly in noise mode. 300 times the Bible says in the New Testament, the Lord says. God is verbal. He wants to communicate. So how does he communicate? Well, he communicates through his word. Right? So again, if you live with a closed Bible, or you only open it up on the weekends, or maybe even rarer than that, you're going to have a hard time hearing from God. Because one of the primary ways that God speaks is through his word. His spirit speaks into your spirit. He takes scripture, and it just like, it locks onto you. And, and God is speaking. And so almost every aspect of our lives, and I, I shared with you a study that Lifeway has done, Barna's done. If, if, I, if I could just get you to spend four hours a week in God's word, that 80% of all the problems and all the anxieties and worries and fears, all that stuff would go away. This is what they discovered. But we as, we as the sheep, remember, we're stubborn. Well, you ain't telling me how much time to spend with the Lord. I don't ain't nobody gonna tell me how much time to spend with the Lord. I, I can do this on my own. I, 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 I've got this. I've got this. Do you? Another way he speaks is through his still small voice where he just prompts you with a sense of speaking to your heart or your mind. Sometimes God speaks through dreams. I know that you have crazy dreams and probably most of you don't even remember most of your dreams, but the ones that you do remember, you might want to pay attention to them because God may be speaking to you through them. There are major uh, shifts in the direction of my life that have come as a direct result of speaking to, God speaking to me through dreams. I don't consider every dream as a dream from God. Sometimes it's just like indigestion from the night before. I don't know. You know, I have some pretty crazy dreams like you do. But the dreams in which God has spoken to me when I woke up, I remembered every single detail. I can even right now pull the picture up on my mind as though it happened yesterday. And I knew, I just knew in my heart as the Spirit communicated, this is from God. So do not discount dreams. Sometimes he speaks through your friends. Right? You're having a conversation with somebody, and oftentimes when God uses somebody to speak to you, they don't even realize they are speaking to you on behalf of God. You're just having a conversation. All of a sudden, they say something. It's like God takes and like grips you and says, yeah, that's for you. You better latch on to that. You, you better listen to that. Now, I would heed warning if somebody comes up to you and says, well, God told me to tell you. That's a different story. Oftentimes, when people are, God uses somebody to speak to you, they don't even realize they're being used. Sometimes God uses circumstances. He cares about every aspect of your life, and it's through circumstances. Sometimes it's even through painful circumstances that God works, and he directs, and he teaches, and he instructs, and he questions, and he, he moves us. Some of the most profound things that God has ever taught me are through the, some of the most painful events in my life. That's why James says in James chapter 1, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials. Because God's going to work through this. If you will persevere through the trial, if you will remain under it, he says it will bring you to a point of maturity and completeness. But if I remove myself from it, 
then I miss what God's doing. Right, so some, there are many things in life that are painful. I understand that and get that. None of us get up, get up and say, gee, Lord, would you bring some pain into my life so I can learn something today? No, God just uses the natural rhythms of our lives, but do not discount those painful moments in your life as God using it in profound ways to speak to you. Now, due to my time uh, running heavy equipment, like when I was younger, when my dad's construction I'd get on the backhoes and bulldozers and all that. had no ear protection because I was young and dumb. And then, you know, got into motocross and, you know, didn't have a lot of ear protection other than my helmet. Uh, my hearing is somewhat dim. <laughs> my wife says I can't hear. I don't go that far. But, I, you know, if I'm in a room, like if we go to a restaurant and we're sitting around a table, I'll have a very hard time hearing because the background noise I pick up and I have a hard time picking up on conversations. So in order to... To um, combat that, I have to kind of lean into one ear, lean into the, the table. Now, here's a picture of this in the scripture. When Jesus gathered his disciples for the Last Supper, Peter wanted to ask Jesus something, but it was John who was sitting next to him. And the Bible says that John kind of had his ear on the bosom of Jesus, he was listening. Peter was communicating, John communicated, he's listening. He's listening to the heartbeat of his shepherd. And so that's what it means to lean into the Lord. Lean into the Lord and listen to him. This is so vitally important because our shepherd wants to guide and direct us in every form and fashion. Well, somebody asked me one time, says, well, if God wants to speak, why don't you just talk louder? Amen. Right? I'm going to tell you why. Because he wants to get you closer to his heart. That's why. John didn't hear the heartbeat of Jesus because he was sitting across the room. He heard the heartbeat of Jesus because he laid his head right here. And that's where God wants yours. God will speak. He desires to speak if you will just listen. Here's your third fill in the blank. And that is the good shepherd cares for his sheep. And we'll pick that up next week. Um, bottom line is sheep need a shepherd we need a savior we need a good shepherd and the good shepherd is Jesus and the reason why we can enter through the gate that Jesus became because of his nail scarred hands and feet it was at Calvary on the cross that Jesus laid down his life for us, so that we might have relationship with him. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for the way that you, you reveal yourself, for who Jesus is, our good shepherd. I pray that we would be sheep that would know your voice and follow your lead and trust you and be at rest in our souls. Father, we acknowledge this morning we are sheep and we need you. Thank you for your directing our lives each and every day. You know how prone we are to wander. You know how absolutely stubborn we can be. And so this day, Father, we choose to take a step closer to you. We choose this day to lean into you with a listening ear and a ready heart to follow you wherever you lead us. So it is my prayer, O oh God, right now, this moment at this time, 
that as we lean into you, that we would hear your spirit speak. We'd hear the small, still voice that would answer the question, what is my next step with you? What is my next step? Just in the quietness of this moment, I want you to ask God that. God, what is the next step I need to take with you? And listen. Father, I pray for those 